I think it's about trying to, really trying to realise and trying to understand the fact that everything is made up. So anything that we think is fixed, so that includes gender, that includes family structure, that includes religion, money, geography. For me, the liberation, the power in that comes in realising that therefore we will have complete power to remake those systems and structures. You know, we have complete power over that um, because it is all made up. The world of the performing arts is not one that I'm very familiar with, but when something makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, I know it's a sure sign that I should investigate more. So when my producer Kathy suggested performance artist Hester Chillingworth for the podcast, I knew I had to have them on. I'll let Kathy tell you why. I only saw Hester perform once a couple of years ago. I had no idea what to expect, but Shorty was funny and moving and so unique. I've still never seen anything quite like it. I remember going to find Hester backstage after the show to tell them how much I enjoyed it. And something about it has just stuck with me ever since. The fact that Hester's name sprang to Kathy's lips almost four years after seeing them perform is a sign of a powerful storyteller. Although, as Hester will explain in our conversation, that's not necessarily a label they identify with. On that note, welcome to Storyteller. I'm your host, Lisa Golden. As you'll hear, there's an inherent awkwardness in interviewing someone whose work you haven't seen for yourself, as of course Hester's work is, you know, performed live, and I haven't been able to see their performances. But as you'll hear in the interview, in the research I did on Hester and their work, even the description and concepts of some of their work really got me thinking. Hester challenges the fixed. And beyond the ideas covered in their work, I was also curious to learn more about this mysterious and intimidating world, to me at least, of live performance in theatre, as someone who was always too terrified to take to the stage. I hope there's something here for both those familiar with the performing arts and people like me, who are shy but curious. So with that, here's my conversation with Hester Chillingworth. Hi Hester, thank you so much for joining me on Storyteller. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Uh, very hot today, yeah. but, um, but apart from that, all good. Yeah, all of us just melting collectively in, yeah. the, in the UK heat. Exactly. Okay, so I think for, for a start, for, for people who are unfamiliar with your work, can you just do a quick introduction? I find it quite hard to kind of communicate what I do in a straightforward, uh, soundbitey kind of way. So yeah. sometimes... Sometimes I'll say I'm a theatre director. Sometimes I'll say I'm an artist. Yeah. Um, sometimes I will say I'm a live artist. Sometimes I'll say I'm a performance artist. So it really, uh, yeah, it kind of depends on who I'm having the conversation with. If I think it's somebody who's really, really wants to know or if it's a bit chit chat, because if it's if it's a bit chit chat, then um, when I get when we get to the kind of questions like, so what's what kind of work do you make? It gets a bit tricky. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's hard to dive into like really deep, sort of complex unpicking of things at like a dinner table when someone's asked what you do. And it tends to be the work I make tends to be um, all fairly kind of non-traditional, experimental work. So it doesn't fit too neatly into um, preconceptions, I suppose. So sometimes I, sometimes I'm trying to kind of 
navigate a bit what I think people might think I mean by a certain thing. Okay. Okay. Well, I think, so when I, when I'd asked you before, um, you know, the, obviously the podcast is called Storyteller. You told me that you don't consider yourself um, a storyteller. So can you tell me a bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, I think um, what was kind of flagging in my head was questions of narrative and and character, which I guess might traditionally be um, associated with the idea of story and storytelling. And that that stuff, narrative and character, tends to be uh, pretty absent from my work or pretty rare. Um, so in that respect, I don't think I'm a storyteller. I, I, I'm not usually, I, I won't say never, but I'm not usually um, doing doing work that says, here's the story, here, here are the characters in it, here's the beginning, beginning middle, end. Mm. But then I suppose by the same token, um, you could say that all art is, is storytelling to some extent, or, because I suppose it's sort of trying to shine a light on the human story and what it is to be a person in the world, what what the story of being alive is really. So yeah. Um, yeah. that that story, that story I think I'm very much looking at, but maybe less telling and more kind of asking, I would say. You seem to want to sort of challenge and dismantle like labels and, and fixed terms. So, I mean, when you're forced... I mean, forced. Sorry, that's terrible. Um, if if what what are you looking to do in your work? Like, how would you describe your work? I would say um, that I'm always interested in trying to create moments that have multiple um, perspectives or viewpoints or or readings or meanings, hmm. and that that might be a that might be a long series of moments or a kind of a one hour moment like like shorty which is a show or it might be um more of a visual art kind of standalone installation or something like that but it all I think it's fair to say across it all um there's an attempt to kind of punch a bit of a hole in the in the matrix that we uh live within and kind of highlight the the constructs I suppose that we live within and, and, and operate within and take for granted and very often take as immutable and um, fixed. And I, I tend to think that once you see those constructs, you realise that it's just humans who constructed them. Yeah, so. that's really interesting. I like that. I I have your, your on, on your site, you describe your work as playful, low-key and interventionist. And I thought maybe it'd be interesting just to go like word by word, because I know, I know how, how, you know, when people ask you to summarize anything that you're doing, you can like agonize over the, you know, the one sentence you have to, you know, whistle down your whole body of work yeah. into. Um, but I thought maybe just like almost like as a rapid fire, like um, if we could go through why you chose each word. So mm. playful, why playful? Mm. Yeah, um, you know, I think humour is, I mean, I like I like humour, I like funny things. I think if people are laughing, um, or at least kind of wryly smiling, then you're probably going to be able to engage them um, in, in kind of more difficult things. Okay, great. And low-key? I tend to use really readily available materials. So Shorty's Drag... Um, you know, far from far from it being an elaborate, amazing kind of uh, drag outfit, it's literally a kind of um, M&S school T-shirt, um, a wig that I've chopped up a bit, 
Um, it, it's all things that you could you could lay your hands on. So, um, and a lot of my my visual art as well will have that aesthetic. I'll use sharpies or gaffer tape or things like that in my visual art. And I think a big desire there, partly that's grown out of necessity. I've used what is around me, but also yeah, that is about coming wanting to come from the world uh that we're in and that we have access to rather than seeming yeah like it's come from some magical art world yeah yeah that makes sense okay and interventionist that I would say is this thing I was trying to describe when I said about punching a hole in the matrix Uh, I, I feel the work I make I want it to intervene on basically people's lives but that could be in a very small way so um which links with low key actually some of my work is like sometimes I make signs like safety signs that you could put up at a venue that would normally say things like no entry or whatever but um I will do something with the words um that spins the meaning a bit so I have one no one no entry sign um in a series I made that says uh, do not go back it is not a good place for you um so it kind of opens up questions in our heads of relationships or um or going back to a situation or going back on yourself or back on your word or what you know all all these things that, that are more than just no entry to this part of the building obviously each piece of performance art or story has its own unique history its own unique motivations so i asked hester to explain the themes they explored in shorty the stage performance and shorty the character So um, Shorty is a is a character I made that I play um, that is that I call a deconstructed drag child. And uh, Shorty is non-binary, and I'm non-binary. I'm I'm very much older than Shorty. Um, Shorty's about eight or nine, and I'm forty. So I'm a lot. Um, you know, there's a big there's a big gap between us. Shorty is very obviously me. So it's there's no. There's no kind of attempt to disguise that really. I, I do an introduction as myself and then I change into this very kind of quite a rudimentary costume. And so I suppose one of the games being played with the viewer is um, how they how they kind of respond and relate to an adult being a child. Sort of one of the main stimuli for making shorty was um well I'd been thinking about drag for quite a long time uh for loads of years actually and then when I was kind of considering how drag relates to being non-binary suddenly had this feeling that I wanted to try kind of dragging across age rather than across binary genders to kind of I would I could say to return to a a slightly more blurry time because I think with kids as well kids can often look really androgynous and um that's kind of just just part of things and that maybe just becomes a bit more problematic as you get older um yeah sort of mm. but before you start yeah that like moment before you start feeling more pressured to perform your gender right yeah I think so I mean I should say I think there is a lot of pressure on kids and I certainly remember when I was young that um there was a big feeling from lots of people that I was doing something wrong as it were yeah uh in ter- but also 
because I suppose your thinking is much is much less advanced when you're young and, and it's much more instinctive. I was aware that the world was saying I was doing something wrong, but I also thought, well, well, I'm not. I'm just kind of doing my life. Therefore, the world must be a bit wrong. The show plays a lot with uh, awkwardness and um, sort of not enoughness. In some, way, in some ways, it's very thin. It's really, if you can imagine a kid waiting to get picked up from school yeah, and they don't get picked up for for an hour the kinds of things they might do to try and talk to you and interest you and be in a conversation with you that's basically the show um although it is it is very in actual fact it's very kind of structured and has a dramaturgy and everything in some respects it seems very just thin and immediate and so often adult audiences will they're quite freaked out at first because they don't know really how to be it's quite embarrassing I think for them they think oh it's embarrassing you're pretending to be a kid but um there's a real kind of there's a real commitment to the um performance I think I can say that because uh, I think I just know it from the inside it's very kind of um shorty's quite earnest you know so um, they're really earnestly trying to be there and I think it's amazing quite quite quickly people's barriers seem to drop and they seem to to start really investing in this 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 idea of this kid and there are a couple of moments where my adult self kind of pops back in the middle there's a bit where I have my back to the audience very briefly and I my voice changes and I say um shorty talks a bit differently from me and uh, I say um are you all right and shorty goes yeah I say are you sure and shorty goes yeah and while my back's turned to the audience, then I turn back. So th- there is always that sense that I'm in the room, actually holding that child because it mm. because it is um, because you know because it's me, it's my inner child. So I think um, I think the audience knows Shorty's safe, but it's it's in some ways perhaps more challenging and a bit more painful then to watch them try to navigate what it is to be to be in the world because they can't just step in as we would in, in the real world and say oh come on let's go and have a hot chocolate or something yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> they just have to kind of sit and sit and let it happen and yeah yeah um okay I want to ask you a bit more about um uh, p- performance in general but later um in in the conversation and particularly about audiences because as a sort of non uh, a, a person who always got way too shy to do anything vaguely performancey related um I'd be really interested in that relationship. But um, before we get to that, um, I mean, could you tell me a little bit about your life and how you got into the arts and sort of why, I mean, I don't know if you feel like you sort of chose this way of expression or if it's just the way you got there. But yeah, I'd be really interested to know just a bit more about you. Mm, Sure thing. Um, So I, from quite a young age, I thought that I wanted to be an actor. I think I was maybe about eight um I remember being in being in a school play classic kind of story yeah, yeah. um and, and thinking um well I say thinking it was more a feeling it was more a bit of a some some kind of possession yeah um either took hold of me or I realized was was sort of in me and f- so for a long time I wanted to be an actor I think that was really because I didn't realize what the other jobs were you could do you know I think when you're very young you kind of think of that you think of performance as just being actors so I yeah I did quite a lot of different theatre clubs and things growing up and was quite seriously focusing on acting until I was about 18 
and I was being taught by I was being taught acting by an acting teacher who's also a director and his teaching was completely amazing and kind of life-changing and what it what it did is it made me realize that I was better at understanding what he meant and was asking for and looking for from people who got up on stage than I was at doing it so uh, that's when I I kind of started to think that maybe my skills lay in directing more um so I I thought then I was going to be a director and for a few years that's how it was looking um I did an English degree and then I did a master's in directing and then it was actually the same guy the guy who had taught me acting he told me about a theatre company called Forced Entertainment which is this really famous experimental theatre company and that really changed everything for me I, I began to by looking at their work, I began to have a sense that there was theatre that was outside of narrative and character and traditional story and basically plays. Um, and that led me down into kind of, I say down, I was going to say down into live art. That led me to live art. Exactly, yeah. And then my practice just kind of developed... I was curious to know what Hester thought of the audience. I've never quite understood sometimes what my role is as an audience member when I'm watching a piece of performance. Are we supposed to understand what's going on? Are we supposed to understand what the artist hopes to convey? Or is it all up for interpretation? I asked Hester. For me, I guess maybe not being a particularly um, uh, creative in that sense person, mm. I didn't realize that people had these like really different um, relationships with what they expect people to take away from their art. Like some people want people to really understand what they're saying. Some people don't care at all. Like they consider their work when it's done, it's out, it's finished, and it's not up to them what anyone thinks of it. So mm. where would you where would you place yourself in that sort of spectrum? I guess I would say. Um... With performance work that I make, I usually um, usually have very direct conversations with the audience. So, in fact, in everything I've made, I or somebody on stage or everybody on stage will talk to the audience um, essentially all the way through um, about what is happening. And part mm. of the part of the reason for that is I don't like the idea that there's a hidden thing I'm trying to do that you might, or that the piece is trying to do that um, you might or might not spot. So I think in all my work, I try to unpack the questions of what it is to be in, be humans in a room together and the responsibilities we have to each other, the ethics of that. Um, and and, and those, so those are the questions I'll be trying to bring up which, rather than some there being something I'm trying to say, if you see what I mean. Um, So normally it will be, I'll be trying to make the audience consider how they feel in a certain moment, what they're going to do about that, if anything, which might be leave or might be burst out laughing or might be uh, feel really awkward or whatever it is. Um, And what's going to happen if that thing then then changes very suddenly? Because I think that's the other thing, the other thing that's interesting for me is whatever happens within the frame of, especially performance, I think has this ability at any point to go, well, it's not real. 
it's not real. So it's quite interesting, I think, to create things that feel very real in terms of what an audience is feeling, and then to say, well, of course it's not real. And then the question comes in the room again about what is real, actually, in this exchange of art? Like, um, can you do pretend things that make me feel real things? And what, what's the, what, what does that mean for um, how we perform ourselves in the world, I suppose? But then I would yeah. be interested as a storyteller, again, like, but I think you've explained it really well of, like, making stuff accessible or not, not so coded that someone can walk away just being like, I didn't know what that was about at yeah. all, like, genuinely. I think for me, definitely um, the idea of audience members having different responses is, um, I have a real appetite for that because I think what it means then is that the work they have, audience members have been able to relate to the work on some kind of personal level and it means certain things for them and from them and they have a reading of it. And I think that for me, the best work, um, the best work can reach everybody. And of of course, in doing that, yeah. it's going to reach everybody differently. Um, but I suppose, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, actually, could could I maybe speak to you? So I again, just um, doing doing my background from from your work mm. that I looked through. Obviously, not being able to watch the work, um, home correspondence really kind of. Um, had me I mean this is literally from like reading a description mm. on your website but really um had like got me thinking could you just explain a little bit about what that work was about and then I'll I can tell you a little bit about why it um sort of just the concept of it sort of been lingering in the corners of my brain yeah sure so home correspondent is a piece um I perform where I listen to radio four live uh but through headphones so when it starts, I turn the radio on so the, so the audience can hear it. It is on and it and it is live. Um, and then I then I put headphones in so the audience don't hear the radio anymore, but I do. Um, and I re- repeat or kind of I try and repeat as much in real time as possible everything I hear. So that would be everything that's spoken, any music, any sound effects, any laughter, any clapping. I try and bring out into the performance space, all the sounds I'm hearing into my ears through my voice. And while I'm doing that, I also eat um, eat meals at mealtimes. I'm sitting at a kind of something that looks a bit like a kitchen table, although it's not a, a theatrical set. It is, in fact, a kitchen table. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I perform that piece for for different periods of time, but but usually long periods of time. There was one political event where I did a kind of I did a 12-hour version of Home Correspondent over that event. Um, so it's kind of a live broadcast of how the world is feeding that into news media. Although, of course, Radio 4 is a very specific kind of news me- media um, and it's very kind of middle England. So there's also something about all these different voices and different sounds that are happening on the radio going through one vocal funnel, if you see what I mean. It kind of flattens yeah. everything. It flattens yeah. everything and um, yeah, but make, makes it makes it a fairly strange, uh, often really funny listening experience. I think it sort of highlights the ridiculousness of how we how we talk to each other and listen listen or don't listen to each other. I think. 
Yeah, yeah, because I thought, I'll tell you, for me, so obviously um, my, my background is uh, documentary and news, and especially the last two years, I, I'd been much more involved in like daily news than I'd ever been before in my career. And of course, it's, you know, it's been a really chill past two years, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, not much has <laughs> happened really. Um, and so there was two things there that really, even just in the description, which I think this is, again, it's so interesting about like the power of ideas. Like now I haven't watched you do this, but just the concept really got me thinking about, um, I worked in digital online news, which essentially is this like regurgitation, right? There's, there's not, um, on, on, on some level, not all of it, but, mm. um, you know, on, on a certain level of like information coming through the wires and just this daily news ground and you kind of just like Bleh, and you just mm. sort of you're trying to keep up and and um so there was that idea which just mm. really made me made me made me think and then I think also how you sort of described the the idea of the food of the sort of sitting at the table not allowed not being allowed to stand or, mm. or leave until you finish your food mm. it's quite a quite an interesting callback to sort of a childhood thing which I know which weirdly I get I'd say in the last year I've had a few conversations I had a conversation with maybe three different people who actually spoke about how as an adult they realized how like traumatic that was actually being able to being forced to eat and yeah. that it had it had a lot to do with um you know like just a lot to do with shame and a lot to do yeah. with control and you know it just again it's so I think this is what I just find so beautiful and powerful about the about this world of like sharing ideas it's like I don't yeah. know those it linked those two ideas in my head in a really interesting way so I mean yeah. is is what was the the if 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 it makes sense to share it like what was the sort mm. of inspiration or the thing that got you to that idea well I think there are several things um for me one I definitely have that memory of having to eat everything that was on my plate um and I quite often used to take too much food, uh, but then have to eat it all. Um, and um, also Radio 4 was sort of on incessantly in the background of my um, of, of my family's kitchen growing up. So there's this kind of weird um, coupling together of ingesting food a bit, bit sort of being force fed food and audio content. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't literally force fed, of course, but that feeling of, yeah. tr of, of kind of uh, stuffing it in. Um, and so those are definitely uh, evocative points of interest for me. And I think, um, I think, again, it's one of those, it's one of those pieces where whether or not you know whether or not an audience member likes it somebody might say oh I can't bother watching that or whatever it's not um there's no mystery about what is happening so I'm I'm very drawn to those ideas where it's just it's just a clear offer this is what I'll be doing you can take it or leave it you may that might not be up your street or whatever but it isn't I don't know what you're doing you might think I don't know why you're doing it but though but for me that's a really rich question and it might be you know it might be great to think well why would a person do that you know um, yeah yeah um, and that sort of thing. And I'm also, I've always been interested in performance work that problematizes the act of speaking. Um, mm. I feel, and I think this came from, um, uh, my interest in acting really. I feel that very often, uh, the kind of right 
or privilege, the privilege, I should say, the privilege of speech um, is very often taken for granted. And in terms of acting, I, I think um, quite often actors will come on stage and just start start speaking. Um, and yeah. I think... Yeah. I think well, you you haven't earned that, and you're not earning that, and I don't and I don't believe you basically. Um, mm. And I'm quite interested in trying to see what obstacles I can put in the way of the act of speaking, so that it it feels valuable again, and it feels um, it feels like a currency that uh, you know has been fought for, and um, you, you need to work to kind of maintain um maintain in the world i think because because it is so uneven as well who gets to sort of speak in the world and who gets listened to and that kind of thing so hmm. um so i'm yeah i'm i'm interested in making it a physical task because it is a muscular thing speaking but we don't we just think of it more as a sort of philosophical thing but i, I i'm always yeah. quite interested in actually it as a bodily as a bodily function While COVID-19 has left no industry untouched, the performing arts world has been hit incredibly hard. But Hester still found a way to create, even in these difficult circumstances. Can you tell us um, a bit about, I guess Caretaker is your most recent slash current work. Mm. Um, And yeah, I just thought, can you you just start by telling us um, what it is and yeah and then I think it'd be nice if we could just talk about maybe sort of where you see um your your corner of the you know of the the performing arts world uh where it's at at the minute Mm. obviously it's in a very difficult you know situation with COVID um but yeah I think let's just start with um with Caretaker sure so um Caretaker is an installation that's currently running at the Royal Court Theatre in the Jerwood Theatre downstairs. Um, and it's it started, um, I think, in the middle of May or may, no, maybe at the beginning of May. Um, so, yeah, at the beginning of May. So shortly into lockdown. Um, and it is a static camera that's mounted um, in the balcony of the theatre that is live streaming uh well, I was going to say an image, but uh, it's actually a video live streaming the empty stage of the Royal Court, which has the um, the set for their last show that was on while lockdown happened, you know, and got, got stopped because of lockdown. Um, and uh, occasionally the lights change, um, but the camera never moves. It's been live streaming there since, I think, 7th or 8th of May. Um, and periodically... 30 times a day so 30 times across 24 hours there there are um short automated announcements and they always begin with welcome and they always end with take care um Mm. and they're usually um they're usually in the realm of something sort of encouraging like I could say so it might it might say um welcome you're doing really well and then it always repeats so it would say welcome you're doing really well you're doing really well. Take care. But it is a computer voice. You know, you're kind of the vo- the voice you might recognise from Siri or something like that. Yeah. Um, and also the kind of voice that might tell you to please take your seats. This evening's performance is about to begin. You know, so you yeah. Yeah, you sort yeah, yeah. of you sort of recognise it as from that building, but it's definitely not quite human. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and that's uh, I write the text for that each each day, 
um sometimes days repeat and things like that but essentially um it's just running like that and has been since beginning of may and and will be until the theater reopens again yeah because i mean i'm sure um sorry this is always my thing sometimes when I want to comment on something I'm like is that horribly obvious and it's going to be suddenly <laughs> dumb by saying something but it really it made me think of um you know the concept of like holding space and mm-hmm. I know that much more from a um sort of contem- contemplative practice world like you know meditation or buddhism mm. or something like that but um and then I googled it to check that I wasn't talking rubbish but um it seems to be like a therapy term as well but I just I saw it as like a really um a, a, like beautiful holding of space um is that is that like a fair interpretation yeah yeah definitely 100% and um a, a lot of people have said you know it's it's a holding of space for for theatre people, it actually yeah. isn't. It's a holding a space for everybody. I just, I imagine, you know, non-theatre people just might be less inclined to look for their space in an empty theatre, which makes sense. But um, I really wanted to make sure that, uh, yeah, that that it's it's just an empty, still space for anybody. Um, and obviously, at the beginning of lockdown, we didn't know what it would be like, how long it would be. And I mean, there are still loads of unknowns on the day-to-day really. So in a sense, it's it's a space for people's uh, well-being. And I don't I don't mean that in, in a wishy-washy way really. I mean, you can, it's, it's live streaming from the Royal Court website um, via YouTube and you can tune into it and there's nothing expected of you as an audience member. You know, you said earlier, you have that kind of... Um, anxiety cringe sometimes when a performer is really giving it giving it some and you feel Mm. like you can't hold it in in caretaker there is nothing expected of you you don't have to be productive you could be having a really bad lockdown day um could be too hot to do anything you could just be feeling really really depressed at the state of the world or you could be having a great day or you could you know whatever but it's there for you regardless in a way um and it just felt like yeah, definitely. Holding of space is exactly the right um, the the right way to talk about it. I think that's that's how I think of it, and I do try to make sure that what I write is kind of applicable for people in general, not not um, not just theatre people. When, when I write the text for it daily, yeah, because that's interesting. Because in, in a in a strange way, like yeah, I, I, that was the feeling I got from it, and then I also just remember th- thinking like, if I was in the theatre, like what a beautiful statement of um that pause button that we've all been put under right of everyone's mm. life being put on pause but uh an act in a yeah like an active pause of a we're here like it's not going away you can still come mm. here if you need us mm. um and we'll be here I, yeah it was really beautiful actually I really I sat with it for a little bit I still haven't um, managed to catch a audio <laughs> thing but okay. I'm very fidgety <laughs> yeah. um Okay, so I think um, I think just in in conclusion, um, you know, for I just I I don't I don't want to sound like I'm being really soppy and weird, but I don't know if if theatre people for me sometimes realize how I don't want to say brave brave always sounds very condescending, but like a lot of people don't I would say don't have a lot of space mental space emotional space and maybe like actual just physical time to sort of dismantle really 
fixed ideas in their world and and I know that obviously a lot of people turn to art to to have those um spaces opened up and to challenge their thinking so for the less creative creatures like myself um what advice I mean is there any advice or or any thoughts you'd have of of almost taking your perspective like into the world with them of how they can maybe change the way they look at things or like what, what, if they could have put like Hester Center glasses on, what, what would they do? <laughs> um, well, I would say um, it for me, and it's a big, it's a big job and a process that I'm continually, um, I'm continu- continually in process with it. But I think it's about trying to really trying to realize and trying to understand the fact that everything is made up. So anything that we think is fixed, you know, so take money, for example, money is made up. There is no such thing as money. I mean, there is now because we yeah. made it up, but it, it, it didn't fall out the sky as a, as a system. Any system we are within, we made, we made up. Um, so that includes gender, that includes family structure, that includes religion, um, money, um, geography, you know, we made all of it up as our best way to, um, well, maybe not best actually in a lot of in a lot of cases, but as as ways to uh, function in the world, often with bad um, intent. You know, as ways as ways to rule over other people or to to have power or whatever, but mm. but not always. Other times, other times for great reasons. But I think for me, the liberating thing and the thing that I just I think I always want to urge people to understand is that everything is made up you know that includes language like the words we're using now we're just trying to claw our way towards a meaning they aren't they aren't concrete things that really exist the words we're saying and that can all sound very like right well I don't want to get my head into a massive tornado but I think for me the liberation the power in that comes in realizing that therefore um we will have complete power to remake those systems and structures I'm not saying it doesn't take work but we do have the power especially if we can work together um, and to remake and 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 design and and structure and uh, perform ourselves, you know, we have complete power over that um, because mm. it is all made up. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I always try and encourage if I'm working with young people or children in workshops and classes and things. Um, I think the education system, which is another system we made up, um, often makes teaches us from a young age that you can be right or wrong and that you should feel embarrassed if you're wrong. And therefore, a lot of people don't put their hands up to answer things. But I think, and this links this links with the question of watching art. Um, you know, your interpretation and your lens is a hundred percent valid, and is and is necessary actually for the world. And the more you can step into your lens and say, okay, this is the lens I bring, and nobody else is ever going to bring this lens. This lens, and other people might need what I what I can see. So I need to find ways to to share that even if that's just in conversation or how I live my life or or whatever then then I think that that's the the really important stuff to be doing amazing great thank you so much um thanks so much for joining me (laughs) pleasure thanks for having me thanks again to Hester for the conversation it really got me thinking and I hope it got you thinking too I started this podcast because I wanted to follow my curiosity about the world and the people in it, to speak to some of the most passionate world builders and narrative geniuses, to see 
the world anew through their eyes. You know, not sounds cliche, but we're all storytellers. And I wanted to speak to people who'd make me think. And I wanted to challenge the fixed narratives that we think we know that might not be as clear-cut when you take a second look at them. This conversation reminded me that we're all, hopefully, finding a way of punching a hole in the matrix. Storyteller is made by me, Lisa Golden, with my amazing producer, Kathy Swan. Thank you to everyone who's rated and reviewed the podcast. It really makes a difference. And we are slowly getting people from outside of my little social bubble and Kathy's social bubble. Um, so please, you know, keep sharing. All the support means a lot. And if you haven't had a chance to, please do rate and review us on Apple. It does make a big difference. I know a lot of you aren't on Apple. So just a follow on Spotify, a follow on Instagram, you know, sharing the episode. So it all it all helps and it definitely all adds up you can find us on instagram at storyteller underscore pod and on twitter at storyteller pod one there's unfortunately a storyteller pod but we got storyteller pod one you can email me at storytellerpod at gmail.com. I also finally sorted out our Facebook page if that is your preferred uh, social media network no judgment I would really love to hear your thoughts on this episode. I've had such great feedback from my friends and people who've listened, and I, I love it, I love it, I love it. So please do reach out um, if there's anything you want to chat to me about. And of course, I would love to hear if there are some people in your life that fit the bill of some of the guests you've maybe heard so far. There's sort of people that you just really want to sit next to at a dinner party because they are so exciting and excited and interesting and interested until next time